0: The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15%
1: off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Jungbin Cho, and I'm currently interning with NACASEC in
0: Virginia, and my pronouns are he, him, his.
2: My name is Inhe Choi, and I'm with the HANA Center in Chicago. We're a Chicago affiliate of NACASEC that works at the national level, so we do both local and national work.
3: Hi, my name is Siria Alvarez, and I'm a doctor recipient from the state of Utah, and my pronouns are she,
4: hers. Hey, this is Juan Escalante. I'm a Florida dreamer living in Washington DC. Pronouns are he, his him.
1: And today, we'll be discussing the future of DACA and the DREAM Act. An important note, we're recording on Sunday, February 4th, so by the time some of our listeners might be tuning in, there may be some updates we were not able to cover. That being said, what is the situation regarding DACA and the DREAM Act right now?
0: Yeah, um, I think I could kind of summarize where where the situation is right now. There was a State of the Union by President Trump, and I think what, what we need to look at right now is the Community State of the Union and the Immigrant Community State of the Union. What does that look like? Like, and to me, what that looks like, it's a state of emergency for all these uh, immigrants who are in this country. There are over 2 million young people who are in need of a Clean Dream Act right now. And without it, they cannot go to school. They cannot get good jobs. They cannot contribute to the country that they would like to. 122 people are losing DACA status every day that the Congress is not acting. And that is set to increase to 1,000 on March 5th, the arbitrary deadline. On addition, on top of that, 11 million people in this country are living in the shadows. And another thing, was uh, about two weeks ago, there was a one-year anniversary of the Muslim ban. Police brutality against the black community is continuing to rise. TPS has been canceled for many countries, including El Salvador, which impacts 200,000 people. And there's also now stories of raids in California and 7-Eleven places all across the country. In general, we are just all tired of these racist attacks against uh, immigrant communities and communities that we care about.
3: I think after the Trump administration rescinded DACA, there was a lot more of a momentum building. I mean, before then, there was some momentum, but after the rescission of DACA, there's been more of an urgency to create a legislation. However, that March 5th deadline, I think, as arbitrary as it is, a lot of the Republican leaders, including some of my representatives and senators, have held on to that.
4: Right. And I think part of this, what we've seen thus far, is essentially this notion, as CDR mentioned, uh, about the March 5th deadline. But, you know, similarly to that, I would say that some of the conversations that are happening across Congress, both in the House and the Senate, continue to be particularly stalled, right? So right now, as we're, you know, uh, running towards the February 8th deadline, and the reason why that's important is because February 8th is essentially the day that government runs out of money once again. It's also the date that Mitch McConnell gave Chuck Schumer to figure out something if there was no resolution to this impasse on DACA, that the Senate would vote on quote regular order in in, a quote, balanced and fair bill, that would essentially address this problem. But right now, you know, we're talking about four days away and we're still a little bit unclear as to what exactly you know fair and balanced and normal order looks like. We know what it's like to have a, a bill go through the legislative process, right? It goes to front of committees, it goes to the floor and so on and so forth. But what exactly is gonna happen on the 8th and what does it mean for the rest of the month leading up to March 5th is still unclear. And at the same time, you have the House of Representatives where Paul Ryan is essentially looking over you know, four to five pieces of legislation from the DREAM Act, the RAC Act, the USA Act. There's a bunch of different pieces of legislation, actually, that, you know, would essentially address this issue. And for one reason or another, you know, you have Republican leadership unwilling to actually put anything forward while at the same time speaking out of the sides of their mouth. I know that a friend of mine Adriana Escarate, he's a dreamer from Florida, was able to meet with Paul Ryan, you know, given that he was also a guest of Congressman Corbello, also a a Republican from Florida. And essentially, my understanding is that Paul Ryan told Adrian that they will get this done, that, you know, the legislative process is a lot like making a sausage and a lot of hands in the kitchen and so on and so forth. But realistically speaking, we're not seeing any sort of like urgency as much as there should be, number one. And number two, we're still kind of unclear as to the pathway forward. That the Republicans think that they're carving for themselves because the bill that has been put forth by the White House as a non-starter. So I guess it's also kind of a little bit of state of play, like not just so from the from the executive level, but you know, legislative state of play.
1: So backing up a little bit into the legislation, we're hearing DACA and the DREAM Act being used very interchangeably by politicians. And I think it's important to note that these two are very much not the
4: same thing. Could you explain how they're different and why that matters? Right, I think essentially the DACA program and I think that there's four terms that we're playing at here right uh, right now, you know, in terms of like messaging and, and media, right? We keep hearing the, the term DACA, which is an acronym that stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So and we have DACA beneficiaries, which are the folks that are covered under this program, appro- approximately somewhere in the ballpark of 800,000 people. You also have the term DREAMers, which is a derivative term that comes out of the so-called Dream Act, a piece of legislation that has existed in Congress since 2001, which uh, has gone through many iterations and modifications through the years. But, you know, the spirit of the bill is essentially to allow young people who came to the United States at a certain age, you know, as children, to obtain a pathway towards legal citizenship, per- excuse me, legal permanent status, uh, and eventually a path- pathway towards citizenship uh, if they complete a, a variety of tracks, it originally was essentially just military and education. Now there's a so-called proposal that would essentially call for a pathway through work. But regardless, essentially what's at stake right now, the DACA program is essentially an initiative that was put forth by President Obama in 2012 as a reaction to a lot of pressure from undocumented youth and the undocumented community after not after failing to act on his promise to pass the dream act and comprehensive immigration reform during his first term in office once he finds himself in the position to be reelected he essentially caves to this pressure and initiates his program known as daca which gives individuals a two-year deferral from deportation, a driver's license, a work permit, a social security. As I mentioned, the the big part is a deferral from deportation from two years, just as long as people... Register with the government, pay a fee, pass a background check, and jump through all these other hoops, and the permit is renewable every two years. Fast forward to 2016, candidate now President Trump, who essentially vows to destroy this program, deems it unconstitutional, asks the Department of Justice to looking into it, and the Department of Justice also essentially says that there's no way to defend this program in court, alluring to a, a lawsuit that was launched by the state of Texas and other Republican-led states. Therefore, now the program is extinct and we're pending as DACA beneficiaries that we are on this podcast in hope that, you know, the Congress would actually pass the DREAM Act. And that's why you may see the the DACA and the DREAM Act term being interchangeable. The only highlight that I would add is essentially that the DREAM Act would essentially cover more, more undocumented youth than the DACA program. And that's just more of a circumstance of age caps that have been imposed on programs or specific requirements that would have essentially left some folks out. That number of 1.8 million people that Donald Trump is protecting or claiming to want to protect uh, is essentially a far larger number, but it's also not out of the goodness of his heart, but rather uh, essentially out of the, the specific details and minutia that exist between the, the program known as DACA and the bill known as the Dream Act.
0: And what I want to make clear is that um, DACA is, a uh, executive orders said by the president. This is nothing new. Previous presidents have put out executive orders similar to DACA for other people, uh, in the past. And also, um, there's a real clear distinction between what DACA, Different Action for Childhood Arrival is, and what a Dream Act is. The DACA isn't essentially what Juan said earlier, it's a two-year renewal program that could continue to be done as long as the program is in effect, and that has no pathway to citizenship. It's just a uh, limbo status for two years, uh, while a DREAM Act is one step towards a pathway to citizenship, which would allow many young people to live in this country and also have green card, and eventually that green card will turn into citizenship. What it looks like right now for the DREAM Act is it'll take somebody 12 years, uh, and if you have DACA, uh, you could have credit for two years. gain a citizenship
1: so obviously as you mentioned the dream act has many different iterations what exactly are you looking for in a clean dream act
0: what a clean dream act entails is that what the what the original dream act is it's one pathway to citizenship for young people in this country who've been who've been in this country for uh, a while now and right now what what the white house is saying is that they want to add other provisions to the DREAM Act. They're essentially trying to bargain with uh, the lawmakers trying to say, trying to put the DREAMers on hostage and the lawmakers on hostage by uh, including the three proposals that the White House has continuously talked about.
4: Right and I think this ask of a clean DREAM Act is essentially obviously something that we have been fighting for for quite some time and even at the, at the, at the lowest levels of essentially negotiation. What the White House is asking in exchange for the protection of one point eight million dreamers is essentially a entire, you know, restructuring of our immigration system as we know it. And it's not exactly like a like a temporary one. It's actually like a firm full commitment from the top to the bottom as the way that we admit people into this into the country. So you're talking about essentially uh, reclassifying what's known as the the nuclear family which is an attempt by the White House specifically Stephen Miller, General Kelly and Trump to essentially uh, destroy any sort of pathway for you know dreamers to petition for their parents. They essentially reclassify the nuclear family as spouses of U.S. citizens and and children and leaves out entirely parents or siblings which were are the traditional members of a nuclear family comes at the expense of this very weaponized term that you may hear in the on the on the TV called chain migration but much much more so the the real way that this is classified as essentially family reunification so essentially the white house has has continued to wage war on this concept even though that the pathway to that kind of sponsorship say that I want that I became a US citizen and I wanted to Petition for my parents, it's not exactly like a one and done type of deal, but much more so uh, a, a very extraneous and, and, a, and a very long path. You know, you're talking about years, you know, if somebody wanted to actually petition someone to this country and the amount of paperwork and the amount of hoops that they have to jump through. Uh, you're talking about essentially a $25 billion package that they ask the, the, uh, for border security The White House is also asking for, in which they include the wall. And all kinds of different bells and whistles that are intended, not only just for border protection, but rather for internal enforcement. So you continue to see these really horrific stories coming out from local communities about how ICE is detaining people at courthouses or going after teachers, dropping off their kids to school. It's a very, very disingenuous way of the White House to present itself as the quote unquote savior of the dreamers. Uh, while at the same time essentially robbing the American people blind and just forcing down an an immigration overhaul that no one's asking for, but much more so that everyone uh, wishes that, you know, will be handled with more delicacy and much more so care rather than just like a a complete comprehensive bill that is nothing short of what I deemed the, a white supremacist or a white nationalist wish list.
0: Not only that, but uh, as he said, the taxpayer money is going to a border wall, which is 25 billion package, cuts to family sponsorship as we know what what it is now. And also not only that, he's also eliminating the uh, diversity visa program, which affects uh, African countries who contribute to the rich diversity of this nation. So the three proposal that the White House is saying in exchange for dreamers to have a pathway to citizenship is one, border enforcement and money towards the border wall. Two, the elimination of diversity visa,
1: and three, cuts to family sponsorship. So, in terms of enforcement, we've kind of seen the debate framed between legalization and enforcement. As you mentioned, Democrats are supposedly supposed to cave to funding for a border wall and increased enforcement if they want a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers. Could you explain a bit more about the narrative behind enforcement
4: and why it's become so popular? I mean, I think that you have, you know, those, the border security hawks or traditional anti-immigrant politician coming out of Texas, John Cornyn, essentially their demands are under this notion that enforcement needs to come first before any sort of deal is struck or if any deal comes at all whatsoever, not to say that they're interchangeable in their minds, but much more so rather it's that this this notion, right, that they continue to propel that the way that President Reagan did, you know, talk about one of the, the, the biggest icons of the Republican Party, that President Reagan in some way, shape or form, and as they allude to, you know, legalize all these people through the 1986 amnesty and forgot to essentially put forward a, the border security, you know, component of it. And that's what we have the problem that it is today, you know, completely missing the point in narrative of, you know, the very harsh anti-immigrant laws signed by Bill Clinton in 96, completely uh, overlooking the fact that Barack Obama is the president of the United States that deported more people in the history of this country than anybody before him. Therefore, we continue to see this notion being pumped out by Fox News and some other folks on the right that our countries are porous, that that people are just rushing across it, it's completely misleading. If you look at the data, right, about what exactly is happening, you see that the border crossings have been lowest as, they, as they've been, not as a consequence of Trump, although he is definitely one of the factors. But it's a trend that has been coming down for the past years, even before he was elected president. And then past that, you know, there's a coalition of communities and groups that care about their lives and and their homes and their property down there at the border. And when it comes down to essentially saying that we're going to pass forth any sort of border package, it doesn't just, it doesn't mean exactly like the wall. I know that Chuck Schumer went out there and and put forth, uh, you know, this proposal out there behind closed doors with the president, uh, which he has now taken back. But at the same time, I think when we're talking about the negotiations in place, the fact that, you know, we're willing to essentially narrow down this deal that the White House has put together instead of putting this entire wish list from Trump and Miller up front in exchange for the lives of dreamers. How about a sensible security package that's proposed and helped to be crafted by the people who actually live on the border, who don't have to have to be subjected to eminent domain by the government in order to build this racist wall that Donald Trump wants to erect. And furthermore, you know, the hiring of, of more Border Patrol agents and more ICE agents all across the country. I think Part of this whole notion is essentially what the word sensible uh, means. And much more so, what is it that we're appropriating? What what, what kind of money is going to be used for this border security package? And and to what intent? Given the fact that, I think it was Deputy Secretary uh, of Homeland Security, Elaine Duke, who essentially said that the way that Homeland Security is now looking at border security is not just at at the southern border, but rather a much more broader scope in which the entire country, and that means the continental United States is now considered, Part of the border. Therefore, you can expect to see more of these ICE raids happening on buses or on trains and beyond. Um, and at the same time, you have uh, Acting Director of uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, Thomas Holman, who is essentially doubling down on some very nasty remarks stating that, that that he will be disappointed and that it should be shameful for Congress to pass any sort of protections for DREAMers, one, two, that he's sick and tired of, of ICE being portrayed in a negative light, and three, that again, every single person who's undocumented in this country should essentially look over their shoulders and be very scared because he's trying to come after them. Uh, and I think that that's kind of like the dilemma that we're playing in here when we come to enforcement and we come to like the DREAM Act that the word sensible comes into a very big array and the way that w- what, that we should proceed forward is essentially with whatever recommendations come from border securities and make sure that the programs that are already in place are enhanced and are essentially smartly enforced. That way, they serve the they serve the the, the the residents, the states, and the country as a whole in a very very smart approach that could essentially fulfill its goal rather than essentially increase much more you know iron fist from the White House when it comes down to cracking down on immigration all over the country.
0: Um, I mean, let me th- let me make one thing clear. Uh, what President Trump is trying to Paint a picture of. He's trying to vilify the immigrant communities, especially those closer to the border. Um, especially when he what he talked about in the State of the Union speech about how there's gang members who are terrorizing the American population. But uh, let me make one thing clear. What has become clear is that the Trump administration is is not about securing the border or the rule of law. Uh, what he's doing right now it's about preventing people from non-European countries to come to. Uh, America and making America white again. They're, they're also attacking the legal immigration system, as we know now, and also the family-based immigration system. And I think vilifying the um, immigrant communities, especially those of the border states, uh, talking about um, people coming across the border bringing drugs and harming the economy. Um, I think he's putting that rhetoric out there so that um, there could be more support for the border wall, which, which is nonsensical first, and it's, it's wasting taxpayers' money in the United States.
1: So, internally, as you mentioned, ICE is the central enforcement agency for immigration. Could you go into a little more detail about the role of ICE and how it's developed under the Trump administration?
3: It's important to note that the role of ICE has always been negative, not only under the Trump administration, but like… Juan said, under Obama's administration, ICE deported the most number of undocumented immigrants. I think we have to remember that before we even talk about Trump's administration, because there has already been a huge number of deportations beforehand. And so when we talk about Trump's administration, there is more deportations. There is more fear um, in our communities, especially because of the angry anti-immigrant rhetoric. Remember that all of these legislations that are being brought from the White House and from this administration are inherently racist Um, and like um, was said before, it's trying to make America white again. And so because of all of that, people are profiled. Um, And so the people who are scared of being deported are not only undocumented, but they're communities of color. The whole issue with DACA is that if you don't have this deferral on your deportation, you are subject to being deported for the very fact that you are just undocumented. Trump's administration made it so that anybody who's undocumented is at risk of being deported, is at risk of being put into the system, even if they haven't done anything wrong or even if they only get pulled over for like a traffic ticket or something like that.
1: Over 80% of the American population supports the DREAM Act, but it would still not provide a pathway to citizenship for all undocumented Americans. How do we address the population that would not be
4: covered by the bill? Here's the notion. We're we dealing with a very aggressive and very cruel administration that essentially is, is supercharging the way that immigration enforcement is handled in this country. So that means that as we continue to see very tragic stories, we're also seeing an increase in abuse from agents and their powers, essentially in entering homes without warrants, uh, harassing U.S. citizens outside the, outside of courtrooms, and mistaking them for, you know, undocumented immigrants, and all kinds of things that continue to pop out in the news for those who are essentially following this issue very closely. The fact is, is that I see that the the passage or enactment of this bill into law is a, essentially a down payment or a step forward in the right direction to ensure that the fight for immigrant rights and recognitions in this country continues, uh, because I know for a fact that even if I were to adjust my status through the DREAM Act, uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to turn my back around and forget my parents and their sacrifices and everything that they worked so hard for. You know, the way that a lot of my activism is guided is that we can't be fighting uh, the front lines if we ourselves are being deported left and right. Therefore, you know, as, as as the immigrant youth that we are and as the activists that we are, you know we should essentially make sure that we we are able to secure at least a frontline scenario and approach so that to, like we live to to fight another day type of scenario uh, when it comes to this and ensure that the rest of the 11 million also get the protections that they need and hopefully it's much more sooner than that that we predicted to be
1: so as we've discussed the next big date is when congress will vote on another cr which will determine whether or not the government shuts down again. Can you explain what happened with the previous shutdown and what's happening now in Congress?
2: Um, this is in here and the last shutdown, undocumented youth and allies really pushed that to happen. We knew that you know, the, the Democrat leadership, particularly from the Senate, they were trying to really use that as a leverage for January 19th. That would be the day that they could really use the shutdown as a leverage to really push for the Graham Durbin bill, as we know it, and uh, that shutdown was used to to get themselves to the White House, and they had a deal they thought, and then soon, few hours later, as as we know now, Steve Miller and uh, uh, Kelly, the chief of staff, turned that agreement that that the Democrats felt that they had, and they shifted it, they they changed their mind, and then sort of the chaos and the, sort of the panic ensued at the uh, at the Senate, and then um, they just didn't have a chance to then come up with a different bill or version to put it on the floor. And that led to the shutdown. What the community is really felt from the shutdown was that, you know, that they really got to that point because of the really hard work that the documented and the impact the young people and allies have really pushed for months. Saturday I was on a call with the Schumer staff two hours after they reconvened uh, at 11 o'clock they already said that the conversation around immigration or immigration negotiations already stalled and the only focus that they were gonna have is on the uh, the reopening the government and so the Democrats from that point really appeared that they they just dropped this, and they were now focusing solely on reopening, which which really to our community, it felt like they were just then worried about polling and you know what 's going to happen in the two thousand and eighteen and really felt that the immigration issues were dropped.
0: The democratic leadership in the Senate is failing our immigrant communities, especially our young people. they say they're they're champions of dreamers, but They're letting these uh, negotiations continue. They're not even putting up a Dreamer bill for the upcoming next CR vote in February 9th. And as we said earlier, 122 people are losing status every single day that could be subject to deportation. If they say they're true champions of Dreamers, it's not right that they're continuing to play politics with uh, the lives of uh, young people. We're not his photo ops. Uh, a lot of the Congress members are leaning towards that March 5th arbitrary deadline. And I think as uh, community members and advocates of uh, DREAM Act and uh, issues relating to that, we need to continue to put pressure on our senators and our Congress members and our representatives to uh, find a solution for a clean DREAM Act right now.
1: So what actions can people take to hold Democrats accountable for, as a party, abandoning dreamers in this process? How do we pressure them to do the right thing? And is there even a chance that they will?
2: I mean, first of all, the Republican president ended DACA. Republicans are also putting forth unacceptable principles and Democrats, yes, saying that we're the, we're the champions and we're going to try to fix this, but they're, they've already been negotiating, not just to, to make sure that the DREAM Act is uh, in place, at least to support young people, but then negotiating with those terms to have the Republicans, uh, to allow um, Republicans have all those enforce- interior enforcements and really also even chipping away family-based immigration system that this country has been uh, really thriving on since, especially since 1965. All that's been going on. This Congress is failing everyone. It, this Congress is failing the undocumented immigrant youth and the immigrant community and this country. We we're not sure what they're going to be doing inside, but that's what we can do from the outside.
0: As Ina mentioned. Um... We could continue to call our representatives to continue to put pressure on them to say that 122 people are losing status every single day that they're not acting. That's one thing they could do. Um, Another thing they could do is continue to go into neighborhoods of constituents and raising the issue about Clean Dream Act and why that's so important. We could try to continue to gain momentum and try to continue to have uh, strong support from our constituents across the nation. And another thing that really worked well these past couple of months is uh, legislation visits, whether it's in district offices or going to DC. Those, I think, have an effect towards uh, sen- uh, senators and representatives and they, um, they hear our problems and I think as we continue to do that, I'm going to continue to hold them accountable through calling them, through neighborhood canvassing, and through visits in the
4: Congress. The main thing that folks should be thinking about is essentially crushing this notion that just going to DC is going to solve the problems. I mean, it's great if folks are able to afford, you know, a, a flight to DC and come out here and lobby and meet with the members of Congress, you know, whether it's your own or your friends and so on and so forth, but rather, you know, take a very local approach. I think uh, one of the most powerful things that we've been able to observe over the past couple of years is essentially the power of local actions and local story building when it comes down to highlighting the impact that that immigrants have in specific communities, whether it's in a red state like Utah or in a purple state like Florida. You know, these events at Congress people's offices, which are essentially spearheaded by either local organizations in your community or are spearheaded by national organizations and allies like United We Dream or MoveOn.org or Indivisible, uh, really do highlight essentially the point that we highlighted a little bit earlier about this wide support that exists for dreamers across the United States. Further than that, I would encourage people that if there isn't an indivisible chapter in your in your community or there's no action plan by United We Dream or others, you know, it doesn't really take a lot to Put your friends together, visit your members of Congress offices and sit down and look at the staffer's face and say, my name is such and such. I'm one of your constituents. You know, I have called, I've written, I've written letters and now I'm here telling you face to face essentially that I need this because my friend could be deported or because the country needs this.
3: I think it's important also to hold all of our representatives and senators accountable or at least put pressure on them um, if they haven't supported DREAMers or Dreamer legislation um, before. I come from Utah, a super conservative and red state. However, Senator Hatch was one of the original co-sponsors of the first DREAM Act. So I think it's important to also remind them of them holding to their values and the support that they've had in the past of legislations and to continue pushing all of our representatives and senators because while yes, Democrats did have a say, the Republicans do have the majority and it's also important for them to support dreamers, support legislations, and to continue sharing our stories as documented, as undocumented immigrants, young people um, going to legislative visits, not only in Washington DC, but in their local offices, but I think because I think there's a lot of power to that and continue holding conversations in our local communities, whether that's holding panels, holding conversations, holding community meetings to continue not only the conversation of dreamers, of young people, of young immigrants who deserve a pathway to citizenship, but also the rest of the 11 million immigrant community.
1: So lastly, I'd love to have all of you give our listeners a closing message and let them know where they can find you online. My name is Jungbin Cho and
0: I'm from Virginia. America is basically built on dreams and Trump and Congress are trying to take our dreams away from us. What we need to do is continue to fight for a clean dream act. The Trump administration is 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 not about securing the border or the rule of law. It's about preventing people from non-European countries to come to this country and making America white again. There are also attacking the legal immigration system as we know and also the family uh, based immigration systems so I think one way uh, on fighting back for people like me who are affected by uh, our immigration status is we could continue to raise our voices and come come out of the shadow I know that it's uh, very difficult for people who might have not done this before but I think it could start small as talking to your close friends or people that you trust and then um, as we build more courage to do that we're going to be putting our faces out there we're going to be putting our voices out there for the American population to hear and also our Congress members to hear. And our voice is um, something that can't be taken away from us. It's our constitutional right. And as we continue to build strong, uh, as we continue to have more voices out there, um, it's going to touch the uh, hearts of American people and also our Congress members. You could uh, find me through Twitter and Facebook by looking at uh, Bin Cho.
4: I think my closing message is essentially, you know, that of resilience and what has been essentially highlighted throughout the entirety of this program. Uh, we need to make sure that whatever it is that we're doing, it we're doing it with the best foot forward and the best attitude. And I know that it's easier said than done, mainly because of the atmosphere and the climate that we're circumventing right now. It's not exactly normal uh, or the friendly, yes, at that, specifically referring to the Trump administration. But nevertheless, people like myself and, and others are depending on essentially the work of everyday Americans, citizens, legal permanent residents, immigrants, to go out there and essentially voice, made their voices, you know, heard. We've seen the polls. We know we're on the right side of the argument and on the right side of history. It's time for Congress is to stop kicking this can down the road and making sure that they get to work and legislate, just like they're mandated by the U.S. Constitution to make sure that they pass the laws, that benefit, the United States, that their citizens want, and that we continue to move forward to solve uh, bigger issues in, in, in this country. I encourage everybody to get active. Again, all politics are local and also national. But, you know, for those, again, who cannot travel to Washington, D.C., don't minimize the impact that a local event can have, whether it's a phone bank, whether it's a rally outside of your congressperson's office. That makes all the difference. So please get active. And if you want any sort of help, you can find me online on Twitter at that's Juan, juans That's Juan Sa with three A's at the end. juans a, A, A. Or you can find me on the Huffington Post where I post a weekly column detailing what's the next big thing on immigration at the local, state and national levels.
3: And I think my message for everyone living in red states or states that does, that don't seem to be as supportive is to keep pushing and to keep raising your voices because it does matter if you're an undocumented immigrant, a young uh, dreamer like myself, to keep sharing your story, especially locally, because the people who are in our states are the one that are going to make the calls and push pressure on our Congress members. To pass a legislation that would create a pathway to citizenship for young people like me. There are about 10,000 dreamers living in the state of Utah, so for me it's really important and urgent for legislation to pass. So I urge everyone to not only raise their voices, but raise the voices of undocumented folks in your communities and continue to have these conversations. Like Juan said, um, politics are very local, and it's very important to do stuff at the local level, whether that is something as simple as a phone bank or a huge rally or a, a small march, whatever that may be, to keep doing and creating different events that highlight the immigrant
2: issues. I want to say that the millennials that are listening to this, um, you have so much power. We have so much more hope. Millennials are more open and you're more uh, ready to listen to the various different ways that we live in this country and this world. We uh, hope that all of you go and act in the way that all these great friends have said on this podcast. Really encourage, if you're able to vote, please vote and really think about yourself and and young people should also think about running and to really try to take over this congress get the way who's like who's who's in the congress they're all predominantly white they're they're older they really don't understand what's going on in the community and particularly you all as young people. So you have the power to act and it would be really an exciting new place with your your participation in it and leading it. And uh, you can find me and the organization at on Twitter, Hana Center, H-A-N-A Center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Thank you.
1: Okay, well, thank you all so much for coming on and sharing your experiences. Again, I'm Jordan Valery. You can find me on Twitter and Medium at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.